All right, good morning, guys. God's been pressing his truth into my heart through his word this week, and, and I trust that this morning he'll do the same for you all. That's been my prayer, and um, this is all about transformation, isn't it? This is about us not being content with uh, the kind of men we are today in the Lord and just desiring that God would take us and, and move us along from one degree of glory to the next as we fix our gaze upon our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what I want to do this morning from the book of Philippians. You can go ahead and turn there. I just want to um, start our time together, not in Philippians, but in a passage that uh, just a few weeks ago when I was preaching on Sunday morning, read from in in the upper room as Jesus prayed, and uh, then I emphasized uh, those words, I in them, as we looked at at Christ with us, and and I just want to reread a small section from there to get us started this morning and emphasize a a different word this morning for the sake of, of the topic at hand. Jesus is praying in the upper room, and, and he's praying for the disciples there right with him. And he's, he says to, to the Father, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then he asks this, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all, and and here's what I want to focus on, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. I think uh, it's fair to say that Jesus Christ plan for his church is oneness. Amen? Amen. Unity is what he's after. Uh, Togetherness. See, see, we we are not like the world, and and we're all in the world in in varying uh, degrees, but we're not like the world. We're different. And the watching world is supposed to to look at us and see something different. They're supposed to see a a bond between us, a bond of peace. They're they're supposed to look at us like Uh, Paul's going to say in Philippians uh, chapter 2, and and they're supposed to see us as though we were stars shining against the backdrop of of the dark evening sky so different, right, from the rest. Jesus' plan for us is that we would have a genuine community of oneness. And so that's, that's the topic, the title for this morning's message, Real Men Walk in Community. And if you're taking notes or even just doing this in your mind's eye, underline the, the last half of that word, right? What does it say? Unity. See, community and unity are inseparable. You, you cannot have true, genuine community apart from the idea of unity. 
And, and the very idea of unity itself is, is just superfluous apart from a community to have it unity amongst. So we want to talk this morning about, about unity, about community, about men in the church who are about these things. And, and so easily for men sometimes, we can be strong, independent, right? Isolated, willing to just kind of walk in this life by, by our own strength, just doing it by ourselves. And, and as we say, some of you have been in Harvest 101 more recently than others, and we say this even from the pulpit regularly, the Christian life was never, ever meant to be lived alone. Right? There's no such thing in, in the Word of God as followers of Jesus Christ who are just kind of doing it by themselves. It's always together with others in community and, and we need to make sure, as we um, are looking at what it means to be a real man, that we have that kind of um, stake in the ground in our own minds. That, that to be a man for Jesus Christ means to be a man among other men. And, and others in the church, for that matter. We need each other. We need each other. And that's Paul's heart in the book of Philippians. He, he is writing to a church, after all. And, and I just want to look at the landscape this morning across this book and, and just pull out, even just devotionally, just, just a few passages. We're not going to just stay in one spot and we're not really even going to go tremendously in detail in any one spot. And I just want to see what Paul has to say to the church about unity, about community. I want to see his heart in this regard. The book of Philippians, in many ways, some, some know it as the book of joy, but it's just as much the book of unity. Paul goes after it again and again throughout just these, these four short chapters, the idea of, of togetherness and, and an uncommon community, a, a, a bond in the church there in Philippi, and that's what the Lord would have for us here at Harvest Durham as well. Paul's writing from prison, and, and he's encouraging those readers, like, look, it's okay. The gospel is not tanking here. In fact, it's advancing because of my imprisonment. So take heart. Take courage in the Lord. Don't be, don't be worried about me, even if, even if they deliver me unto death. And, and he, you, you might remember he talks about just having to maybe wrestle between the two options in his mind. Well, what if I die or, or what if I stay? And, and he says, well, if I stay, that just means more labor for Christ here in this world. And if I go, that just means I'm going to be with Christ immediately. Both are good. I'm hard-pressed between the two, but I think, I think what the Lord has for me is to stay. Right? And look, look what he says in verse 25. I'm convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with you all for what? Your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he's, he's convinced that the Lord still has more work for him to do. And, and that work is primarily the progress of the believers. Right? We, we didn't, um, I was thinking this week about our mission statement. Right? Do you know it? Lost people saved. Saved people matured. Matured people multiplied all to the glory of God. And we didn't just... Make that up, right? We didn't just pull that, think, oh, this, this sounds good. This is what Jesus Christ is about. This is what he told the apostles to be about. Progress 
in the faith. Sanctification, like we just saw, right, in, in Jesus' prayer. Growing in our holiness, in our likeness to our Savior. That we would be more and more like him as the days pass by. And that we would do this together. Right? This is the plan for the church. Look at verse 27, Philippians 1. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Here we see that Paul is about harmony. He's about unity, togetherness. He's about being on mission together as a church for Jesus Christ. And the first truth I want to draw out this morning from from this book is that the foundation of our community is the gospel. We see the foundation of our community here and we see that it is nothing else than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to remember that as we're we're thinking about being a, a band of brothers Right? And, and as we're thinking about our um, inseparable link to one another in the church at Harvest Durham, that the glue that holds us all together is faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and Paul paints this picture here by way of illustration of, of a battle scene. Right? He's using military terminology here. He's going to go on to talk about opponents and, and destruction and the fight that's going on in this world between those who believe and those who don't believe. And he calls the church first to stand firm in one spirit. And you might picture it um, as, a, as a, a, a line of, of men who are holding guard, who are, who are holding the line, so to speak, maybe linked arm in arm, standing so close together with, with shields up, right? not uh, allowing the enemy to advance upon them. And he says, stand firm together, put your feet firmly planted in one spirit. And, and I agree with the, the translation here, of, or the the editing, I, I suppose, of the ESV, which puts spirit in small. I don't think he's talking about the Holy Spirit here. I think he's talking about our inner disposition. That we would be agreed in attitude. That we would be agreed and aligned together in our desires. In, in, in what, how we're going to think about this, this war that, that we're part of. That we would be firm in one spirit together. Standing together holding the line. Then he shifts metaphors just slightly and he says, with one mind striving side by side. And and here the picture, we could still uh, keep the military terminology in our minds, that that vision of of the army together, but now instead of standing firm holding the ground, they're advancing, right? Striving, but not by themselves. I mean, can you imagine going to battle by yourself? That would be crazy. We, we would never think of, of going into battle just on our own. And so the Apostle Paul here reminds us, he's, he says, striving side by side. All of, all of the yous in this passage are plural, except for, for one of them. And I think there's good reason for that. But, but we see over and over again, you, you, you. And the Apostle Paul is talking not just to an individual, but to the church collectively. 
side by side, striving together for what? The faith of the gospel. Our mission is to see the truth of salvation press further and further into one another's hearts and to win the lost in our region, in our communities, for Jesus Christ. That the gospel would prevail, that the truth of Jesus coming to save sinners like us, right? that the king would take beggars and make them his friends. That is our goal, that is our foundation, that is our link in our community. And it's for this reason that we are going to stand firm and, and strive together. And we're going to do this in, in various contexts. Right? We're doing that this morning here at MIT. I know that's why you're here. We do that on Sunday mornings when we gather as a church family. We, we do that midweek when we meet together as small groups. I, I hope you're in a small group. I, I just want to talk to you. Each of you this morning, if you're not in a small group, you need to get into a small group. You need to stand firm and strive together with others in the church on an intimate basis. And you need to to do your part to pour into other believers. And you need to be poured into as well. And, And not only do you need to be part of a small group, you need to be actually part of a small group. You know what I'm saying? Not just on paper. Right? You need to be, that needs to be a priority in your life because we need this community together and we, we just can't do this alone. Right? And, and those in our church can't do it without us. We need to be reminding each other of the gospel. I said to somebody just a couple of weeks ago, I, I said, you need to remember that the gospel wasn't only for the day of your salvation. The gospel is for every day of your life and my life. We need to remember that that we're sinners every day, falling short of the glory of God, in need of forgiveness. We need to um, remind each other of this. We need to hold each other up when we're falling down. We need to strive side by side for the advancement of the gospel. Real men strive together for the sake of the gospel. That's our starting point. And uh, from here, I want to I move along and look at the approach to our community. If, if the gospel is the foundation of our community, what is the approach of our community? What is kind of the, the day in and day out nuts and bolts of our community? What is the disposition of our hearts in this community that we're committed to? And we're going to see that it's humility. It's humility. That's what Paul says. Look with me at chapter 2. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And we're going to come back and and look at some of these negative things that hinder our community later on. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. How hard is that? 
Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. This is the high calling of the Christian community. To set aside our personal desires, our wants, our needs, our comfort for the sake of others in the community. That's what we're called to, man. And if we're going to be men of God, right, if we're going to train to be real men, we need to be humble men. This is, this is the high calling of the Apostle Paul through the Holy Spirit. This is hard work. And yet this is the kind of community that our Lord desires us to have. He requires us to have humility. I read a story this week, maybe some of you saw the same one, of, of uh, a, a man, a, a landowner in China who, who, who grows rice in the rice paddies and I've heard this before, actually, and, and I was so thankful that the Lord brought it to my attention this week because it, it goes so, so well with this section of God's word. He, he's going out each morning to water his fields, and he, and he just floods the fields, and, and there's, um, you know, these um, barricades, whatever you would call them, for, for the water that keeps it in. And he would water his fields, and then he would come back later that day, and the crops haven't really been watered or, or nurtured, and they're drying up, and he, he's confused. Why, why I watered it? I don't understand what's happening. And, and then he, he began to notice that his neighbor, the, the, the farmer who had the adjacent um, area of land where he was growing his crops, too, would sneak in later after he would water, and he would just kind of pull up the stakes in the ground and allow all the water to rush through and water his crops instead. And understandably so, the man struggled with this greatly, and, and yet he was a believer, and uh, he went to the church, he went, he went to the others to, to, to say, like, well, I don't know what to do. Help me think about this. And you know what they came up with? Just this act of service, this, this humble attitude where he would begin to go out in the morning and instead of watering his own crops, he would water the other guy's crops first. And once he had sufficient supply, he would then water his own. And, and through this, that man came to Christ from seeing this example of being cared for and, and, and having his needs put above the needs of another. And this is how we need to live our lives. I just want to want to challenge us all this morning to think, how can we apply this to our lives? And, and I just want to say it's, it's in decision making. Let's, let's think about as we're making decisions day to day and in, especially in the church, are we making decisions because of the benefit that's going to be derived from the outcome of that decision for ourselves? Or are we looking through the grid of, of others? Is this going to bless them? Is this going to be for their building up? Is this going to be for their good? Even if it means having to put myself on the shelf. This is the call to humility. This is what the Lord has for us, for our approach to our community. It's radically different, isn't it, from the world? This is how we're going to shine like lights in the world. When we're humble, and, and we consider others more significant than ourselves. 
That's the kind of men we want to be here at Harvest. Men who are like Jesus Christ. Right? He's the example. Look down, we'll continue reading in verse 5. Paul says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is unfathomable. That God would send his son to take the humble form of a servant, sinless Christ, to bear the penalty for our sin. We, we sang this morning, when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. May that truth never become stale or, or redundant in our hearts. Man, you need to stand in awe every single day of the price, the ransom price that God paid for us to be in community with him. And then we need to make that transition that, that Paul is calling us to make here and, and say, Christ did this. He humbled himself for us. The infinite gap that was bridged by his humility, and, and then we need to do that and put that on when we think of how we interact with one another. The approach to our community is humility. Lastly, I want to look at the endurance of our community. Because like we said, this is so hard, right? This is, this is far, 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 far from easy to live this kind of a life, to, to, to live with one another in this kind of a way. And sometimes it's going to break down, and we're going to fail, and it's not going to go well. And we need to persevere, and we need one another's help in this. And we see that this is a great concern of Paul as he writes this letter. One of the, the concerns he has, we'll see in chapter 4, is for these two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche, that are at odds with, with one another, and he calls for them to agree. Look at chapter 4, verse 2. He says, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. We don't have any more detail than this. We don't know the degree of this schism. We don't understand the cause, the exact nature 
right, what the issues are, but we, we just know that the Apostle Paul, in writing this letter to the church in Philippi, singles out whom he knows to be in a disagreement with one another, and he says, you need to agree, and, and isn't it so um, interesting that he doesn't just appeal to them, but he appeals to others to help them. And uh, he's, it says, I ask you, true companion, help these women. And that uh, true companion there, it, it could be actually a, a, a proper name. It could be, you may have a note there in your, in your Bible at the bottom, a footnote, loyal Sisygus. I actually think this is what it um, should be. Um, Paul is naming people, right? Yodia, Yodia Syntyche, Clement. I think he's singling out uh, somebody who is a true yoke fellow in the church that he knows personally. The idea of a yoke fellow is, is having two oxen pulling one load. Right? Think of Think of the unity there. Think of the commonality. Think of the community that is needed. And I, I think Paul is calling upon this man that he knows could, could labor on his behalf to, to restore, to reconcile the community that in some way, small or big, has been fractured in the church in Philippi. And there's, there's so much um, application for us here as men In the church, I mean, you, you guys, we've said this before. The leaders of any church are going to shape the culture of that church. And, and yet, to, to just go one more step from there, the men in the church are going to shape the culture of the church. And I would say particularly the men who are here at MIT. All right, you men who are, who are faithful to be coming here on Saturday mornings, so that we can be sharpened by one another, are going to have a great effect on the church at large. Right? This is a small sample here in this room this morning. But by God's grace and in his strength, we can go into our church community and we can have an effect for good, for the building up of others, if we're committed to the truths of God's word and the, the truth before us here in this last point is to be men of reconciliation. Men who are open to reconciliation ourselves. I, I was gripped. This is where I personally was, was gripped the most this week is, is just with the need to make sure that there is, there is no um, schism in, in my own life with anyone in the church. God says, may it never be. May it never be. If there's someone in the church that, that you are not speaking to because you're at odds with, that is a problem. And it needs to be fixed. It needs to be rectified. It needs to be repented of. We, we cannot say in the church of Jesus Christ, well, well you know, I'm, I'm at odds with them. We're just not on, on good terms right now. That's not okay. All right? Hear me say that this morning. We need to be an authentic community of Christ-following, humble servants who are not okay with, with any sort of division in and of ourselves. And when we know that that's happening in others, we, we need to address it. We need to go to them in, in love and in truth and say this needs to be fixed, this is not okay. We need to walk alongside one another in this for the sake of the community of Christ, his church, his bride. And there's many um, obstacles 
mentioned throughout this book that, that would get in the way of, of our unity, of our community. Some that Paul mentions are, are envy and, and rivalry. I just want to maybe say a few words about some of these. En- envy is, is wanting what someone else has, what is theirs, and, and it's sin in Scripture because it implies there's, there's a growing hardness of our own hearts, a bitterness. We need to be aware of that. That, that, that will stifle our unity big time if there's, there's unhealthy desire for what is not ours and what someone else has. And, and maybe it's material things, but maybe it's spiritual things. Maybe it's family. Maybe it's um, a, a position of, of um, spiritual service. We, we need to put off put to death envy in our hearts, rivalry. You know, I, I sat with uh, a new couple from our church just a couple weeks ago, and, and they said what, what we hear often. They were so welcomed in our church. They, they were so encouraged to walk through the doors and to walk down that long corridor. And they said, you know, we've never been anywhere like this. There, there doesn't seem to be pockets, you know, factions of groups who just stick to themselves and won't let anybody else in. And I was so encouraged to hear that, and I think to a very large degree that's true, but let's not kid ourselves either. Let's, let's acknowledge that that, that probably is happening in some ways, and, and certainly um, there's a threat as, as we continue to grow as a church and as we form bonds with one another that, that we could um, have these, these rivalries where it's like, hey, this is my group and you can't come in, and, and may we um, remember that as men of Christ, that's not who we want to be, and let's fight against that. Amen? Here, in chapter 2, Paul mentions selfish ambition. Right? This is wanting, wanting what we want for ourselves, what, what would be best for us, and, and, and repeatedly throughout the scriptures, we're called to, to get rid of that selfish ambition, that conceit right elsewhere in scripture it says don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought that will crush our unity our our community if if we're haughty and looking down at others and and thinking that we're something when we're really nothing we're just servants we're just humble beggars one with another grumbling disputing that's what Paul tells us not to do as we model our community before others. Don't grumble. Don't dispute. Don't fight. Don't, don't murmur. And I was thinking this week, as I just want to press in on this idea of grumbling maybe in our, in our own hearts. You know, what, what could cause divisions among us? What, what could hinder our unity as men? And one particular area that I'm burdened by is, is just the idea of receiving some exhortation from one another. I just, I just want to say this. We and, and some of you, more than others, are thin-skinned. I'm just going to say that, all right? We're here, men, in training. There's some thin skin in our church. And, and sometimes somebody has to speak a truth into our, our lives, and, and, and that's it. Relationships done on our part because we're like, oh, I can't believe you would say that to me. It's ridiculous, and, and we, we need to have none of that. We all have so much room to grow, 
So the idea that someone would come to us and say, uh, uh, I've been thinking, brother, I've been seeing your life, I've been spending some time around you, I've, I've been hearing some things that you're saying, I've been watching some decisions that you're making, and I think you're being foolish. I think there's some sin there. I, I think that you're out of step with the word of God. Can we be men who are okay with that, please? And willing to examine our own hearts and, and just right away say, well, I'm not perfect, of course, so why should I be so shocked and surprised that somebody saw something in me that needs growth? Like the community that we can be and the, the solidarity that we can have if we can come to one another, right, and not leave that kind of an interaction grumbling and, and just shutting off that person, that, that other man, from our lives because he had the courage and the love, let's call it what it is, to, to, to be for us, for our sanctification. We want to be, be men of, of reconciliation. We want to be men of humility, and we want to be, be men who are striving and standing firm together for the sake of the gospel. Let's, let's break now, and let's pray, and let's pray that we would be men who are exemplifying these truths, men who are leading in this way and in our spheres of influence, whether it's in our small groups or whether it's with our families or whether it's with our friends. Let's, let's pray that, that we would lead well, that, that God would just take his truth that we've seen about unity and community this morning and, and change us. Let's pray big prayers this morning together, that we would walk out of here with another deposit of God's truth that would bear fruit in one another's lives.